0: Welcome to the forge leadership podcast in this series simon barrington and johnny abbott are joined each week by emerging leaders from the millennial generation today our guest is elizabeth Neep. elizabeth is a commissioning editor and an accomplished author in her own right so welcome to the forge leadership podcast today we're joined by elizabeth Neep. elizabeth is a commissioning editor at spck elizabeth welcome to the podcast
1: hello thanks for having me
0: Where are you today?
1: I'm currently sat in my living room in London Bridge with the next door neighbor's cat on the sofa next to me.
0: (laughs) Brilliant. And uh, my co-host is uh, Johnny Abbott and uh, Johnny's going to ask you some questions just about who you are and what you do. Elizabeth,
2: it's great to have you on the podcast today. And I guess my first question, uh, having no real experience at all in the area of publishing, is what does a commissioning editor do?
1: Ah, so we are the people who think big picture. So we're looking for ideas that would be not just good ideas in themselves, but commercially viable. Um, so we'd have a market um, that is more than just the fancies of me or a particular editor in our organisation. Um, so we'd be identifying a good idea and matching it to the market. Um, we actually do kind of structural edits and the big flow of the book. But before we get to the nitty gritty grammar and spelling, I hand it over to um, another member of our team called a project editor or a copy editor. So every time I get told off for having typos in my WhatsApps and stuff from friends, I'm like, that's not actually what I do. <laughs>
2: that's probably a relief isn't it um and so come on let's go through the let's go through an example you get an email into your inbox with an idea what would be the things you'd be looking for what would be the things that makes you think ah yes this could be something
1: yeah so i think for that it's the appreciation of a market really um Because quite often, I am a writer myself as well, I write fiction, but we are terribly self-indulgent and we look at our sentences and we're like, ah, it's just gold, it's magic. And so for most writers, it is a cathartic process and then they hand it over and you think, is that actually for anyone else? You know, is that just for you? So I'm looking for an appreciation of, this is who I'm writing for, and this is why, this is the need they have and why they need to read it. So it really is that outward looking nature That I'm looking for in an author um someone who yeah appreciates that it's not just going to be them who reads their words (laughs) but a a market of people
2: hey so that's super interesting because one of the maybe criticisms millennials will often hear is that it's narcissistic self-centered looking inwards Uh, and so you're now working in a role where that is completely the opposite completely the opposite thing that you're looking for
1: yeah exactly like I can read some beautiful writing um but also be like what does it actually do (laughs) like you know it's um and I, I I myself am one who loves a bit of flouncy writing and beautiful um syntax but actually we are looking for what are you conveying um especially in the area of non-fiction um which is what I do for my day job um you know you're you're giving across something that is um meant to be informative, and um, help someone, meet a need. So it's not just about entertainment. It's about what is this book actually trying to do and what need is it trying to meet?
2: Hey, that's great. And so as a, as a dyslexic and someone who forces themselves to write, you uh, are the salt of the earth. Uh, in the world. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, and you've just been to India as well, is that right?
1: That's correct. Yeah, just been on a two-week holiday with my best friend from uni, which is such a pleasure, especially when she now owns a three-bedroom house with her boyfriend in Hartford. Um I was very surprised to hear that she wanted to go away with me for 2 weeks and leave him behind. So that <laughs> it was nice to have kind of best friend time again.
2: That's cool. That's great. <laughs> well hey, let's get into it. Simon, you've got some questions about the uh leadership, the leadership research.
0: Yeah, so Elizabeth, tell me first how, how do you think of yourself as a leader?
1: I do. Yeah. I <laughs> um yeah, I think that is. I'm sure we'll get onto tensions, but that is a difference between what I see in the older generation and our generation is that um, I think older generations probably see it as a position of authority, a manager maybe on paper, whereas I think I've been a leader ever since I was bossing around my little sister at the age of (laughs) four.
0: So how would you define leadership then?
1: I think um, leadership is something you recognizing their name rather than just deciding i'm going to be a leader now um or having it as a job title or a role but i just think if you look behind you and people are following you or if you can influence a room change the tone of a room i think you are a natural born leader um because you carry influence
0: okay so so you say, said about influencing your little sister mm. um, outside of the family when did you start noticing yourself influencing other people
1: Hmm. I guess church played a huge role in that for me. Um, when I I did the whole kind of, um, I was brought up with Christian parents. Um, they weren't very pushy with faith. They kind of um, gave us the scope to explore it for ourselves. Um, so I first engaged with church in kind of a youth group capacity. And definitely there I was given responsibility to organise sessions or games Um, And then I um, drifted out of church throughout university until my final year and plugged into a really great church. And again, they called me out as a leader of a small group. And it was really in that space that I was just like, oh, actually, um, it's helpful to have someone name it in you and go, you are a leader. And then you begin to step into it more, I think.
0: So would you say it was other people recognising it in you first and giving you opportunities to have a go and fail and (laughs) pick yourself back up?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is something we have to watch in not just recognising leadership in the the gobby ones amongst us, the people who can talk a lot, Um, because quite often it's those people who do get recognised as leaders and then encouraged in it. And it's a bit of a catch-22 situation where we really... Um, so that w- that was me, really. I was always chatty. I was always confident. Um, so I think it was probably quite easy to call that out of me. Um, but I guess in my own leadership, I, I, it's a challenge to me to not just hear the noise of the naturally louder leaders, but actually look at who's subtly changing kind of the the... I guess, kind of the feel of the room and the direction of conversation.
2: So that's really interesting. I love uh, stories of people investing in others and, and uh, honoring those who have allowed us to lead as well. Uh, and so I guess my question when hearing that is, is who are some of the people that spotted that? Who are the people that that had those intentional conversations with you about stepping up into those leadership, uh, into a
1: leadership capacity? Yeah, so I had um, great youth group leaders, um, at in my church in Chesterfield called Rob and Steph and um they're still very good friends with my parents but I guess they're a little bit younger and and I think it counts when it's not your parents (laughs) like my parents um are great encouragers they still are but um as possibly one of the big dreamers of our family I think part of their role was making sure I was grounded as well so not you know not that it was ever a lack of encouragement but they probably did measure kind of the scope of my <laughs> dreams and the speed of my dreams at times. Um, and to have people who weren't your parents be like, no, you are a leader, step into it. That's really powerful. Um, so they would be the first people in youth group. But then I guess, yeah, church pastors or people um, in at various stages um, throughout my university career who kind of saw that in me and invited me to take on more um, it happened very much um outside of the church role in um my writing that I did I started off doing short articles at university and then got recognized for that and asked to take on more roles and look after a particular section so I guess it's just yeah stepping into something and seeing those people around who go you're good at that you should do that more um they've been the people who have influenced my leadership
0: now you sound, sound like the kind of person who doesn't mind taking a few risks uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and putting your work out there um, but that mm. comes with kind of the sense that there might be failure uh, involved as well what, what what's the biggest risk that you've taken that that hasn't worked out or the biggest challenge that you've gone for that hasn't quite worked out and what did you learn from it
1: Oh gosh! Um... <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't an interview. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm trying to think because it's it is really it's such that kind of um, it's, it's almost like a worming your way out of the question, isn't it? But I guess I don't see I don't see failures as a real fall on your face end of the story. I think through failing at particular things it's actually led me and guided me very much to where I'm meant to be. Um, and so an example of that would be um, I started off my first job in publishing, but in a very different area. I was an executive assistant, so supporting the CEO in, in what they were doing, which was actually really great for seeing the broad scope of publishing um, from that vantage point as a business. Um, but I was a bit bored towards the end of that role, really wanted to be more creative and um I have a law degree in my vault so that's what I studied and I thought you know what screw this I'm going to earn a lot of money and I'm going to go into media law um and I got interviews um and I sat down and it was honestly when I got rejected from one of these particular interviews I went to it was almost like God had written the rejection for me so they said um we think you would. You don't want to w- work with creatives, you want to be a creative. And that actually in this particular line of work, you'll f- be very frustrated. And so it was a rejection, it was a failure, but it was actually one that really spoke to me and I was like, oh, okay, I I need to, I need to do that. Um, so that was one. I definitely, in my, one of my first weeks in uh, SPCK, in my current role, I organised for 2,000 of the wrong book to be sent somewhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> which was a massive failure. Um, a surprise was, for
2: someone. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it was even worse than that. It was her new book that wasn't yet out going to her target audience and giving them away for free. So it would have oh, absolutely cannibalised her sales. Oh. Um And that's an amazing story of not my leadership, but uh, a woman I used to work with who was actually younger than me, which I didn't like at first. I was like, who is this young girl? Who is this young girl teaching me? But she, I was working from home again and she called me up and I was all in tears and telling her what I'd done. Mm. And she was just so calm. And she said, look, there's nothing that's been done that we can't undo. This is what we're going to do X, Y, Z. And I just thought, wow, there's a leader um and that really inspired me and I guess that's when I learned to um shut up and sit down when it comes to age and leadership and actually in my life I imagine that I will be led by lots of people younger than me and I am currently led by lots of people who are younger than me and that's okay and it's you know we can all learn regardless of age from different people
0: brilliant and what's the biggest challenge you face in your role
1: the current challenge Mm. um in terms of um career progression or in terms of my actual day-to-day job
0: um i i I think just in terms of some some of the challenges that you face in your day-to-day job as a leader
1: Mm. yeah i think one of the big challenges is being friendly and personable but retaining authority Um, I find that quite hard, um, because the very nature of commissioning is that in those early meetings with an author, it's a bit like dating, (laughs) you want to, you know, see whether you're of the same mind, whether you've got the same vision for the book. You get to know one another and it's in a very personable setting, usually in a hipster coffee shop with exposed brick and, you know, like with a a flat white, like I am, I am a stereotype. I am a millennial stereotype. Um, So you get to become friends. And one of my, my biggest passions is commissioning millennial writers and young writers coming through the ranks. And so you can become friends, you follow each other on Instagram, and then it's really hard to put your foot down I find sometimes um when they're you know emailing you being like hey how how'd your weekend you know like and then you're like actually yeah. you've missed your deadline <laughs> let's talk about that and <laughs> um, that yeah. can be quite tricky so I think that's I don't know whether that's a millennial thing or whether that's a me personal kind of I am quite a personable person like to make people feel at ease and then it's quite hard sometimes to stomp down and go, you know, this is what needs to be done for the book. Um, So I would Mm. say that would be one of the biggest challenges. Um, Mm. The other one is a challenge and a joy, but it's working in a team. I think Mm. um, it's taken me a while to learn that even though being in a, you know, we're a mid-sized organisation, there's probably about 50 of us, it can often really slow you down. And as someone who would describe themselves as quite fast and ambitious, it taught me a while to uh, it took me a while um, to realize that actually slowing down is not a bad thing, and you need mm. to, the, the times when my team has slowed me down and said, "Look, what are you going to do with the interior of that book?" or we're not happy with the cover, It's actually always led to better results. and it's reminded me that it, what I do isn't about me, um, and it is about the audience we're trying to reach, with the message we're trying to say.
2: So that's really interesting. I want to skip back a little bit when you were talking about the, the following of Instagram and friends on Facebook, following on Twitter and everything yeah. else. And uh, and actually can totally see the the tension there of when you build up a friendship, when you build up a um, a rapport with someone, and then uh, there's that horrible moment when maybe things don't work out and then there's the unfollowing or the defriending <laughs> or whatever it is, but you sort of cut that off. Uh, is, is that a tension you deal with often? And is that something that you uh, yeah, is that something that crushes you much? How do you how do you get past that? How do you do you walk through that whilst at the same time, keeping in a, a relational element of, of what you do?
1: Yeah, I think that actually, in my role at SPCK, there's an, an another nuance that I'm sure anyone who works in a Christian organization feels but we're not we're not just people who are like-minded, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And many of us know many different people from church. (laughs) So you're never, Mm -hmm. there's even that element of, you know, this is why we need to evangelize. So there's, we don't have such a small world (laughs) of Christian world. But Mm -hmm. if anyone, you know, comes to me with a book proposal, I'll usually see on Facebook that we have 15 mutual friends. And that is an added dynamic where, just everyone seems to know everyone and <laughs> um, so you have to be really careful when you're well I think you need to be careful anyway when you're you know maybe having a moan or criticizing anyone but it is it's even more nuanced for the fact that we are working in Christian publishing and um, for example uh, my own agent who isn't um, as far as I'm aware she's not a Christian she doesn't work for a Christian organization and um, she's um, probably about five years older than me and um, we're very friendly but I've never felt like she's my friend like I've never felt mm-hmm. like there's anything other than professionalism between us and it's a warm professional professionalism but it, we're not going to go for drinks <laughs> like you know we're, we're going to go for a coffee and talk about books but we're not going to go off topic too much and I think there is just it is something I've not fully worked out yet i i enjoy being friends um with my authors i enjoy knowing if they're having a hard time at home and you know um Mm. i it's people to people isn't it it's human to human and i I do enjoy that but it is also quite difficult when um when you have to put your foot down because i you know sadly it's not just the deadlines aren't just for me and it's not just me missing my deadline but it's like many organizations if you miss on one element of it it has a knock-on effect for you know 40 other people so you have to be and that's just within the organization outside there's booksellers and there's events that we're doing you know it's quite a critical path driven organization or industry even not just our not just our organization but i i do find that quite hard the um the knowing everyone to
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now, certainly in the research that we did, um, that tension between uh, being extremely relational, wanting a higher level of teamwork and collaboration, uh, building friendships in the workplace, um and having to do a professional job was a massive tension that came Mm. through but i know that um you as you've read the research and in fact were one of the participants in the research um spotted another tension as well so tell us about the the tension you spotted that really resonated with you in in the research we've done. yeah
1: of course so i was lucky enough to be part of a little focus group that would hear the research at an early stage and i think it was something many of us um picked up actually but um it was that lots of us as millennials really do chase the kind of freelance gig economy dream. That that feeling that actually I don't need to be slowed down by red tape and a weighty se- senior management team and um, critical <laughs> paths. I can I can do the very thing that I love, which is to to edit and to write and I can get paid more for it for not having a salary Um, so it's um, you know it, it is a very very tempting thing and one that I can see isn't just a me thing but is a millennial thing um, from the research but then when it comes to what we value highly many people said you know the people make a place if they go to work and they feel like they're with friends and people they bounce off and people they enjoy that actually that is such a big source of their um contentment in the workplace so I guess the discrepancy um I saw uh, was the fact that we're desiring these very much kind of work from home work from a coffee shop freelance lifestyle um, at the same time as valuing team really highly and valuing collaboration really highly Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah one that I've not quite worked out yet but I think it for me I went away and I thought gosh maybe I don't want to be freelance maybe it's actually just the um the outward appearance of what that would look like it looks like independence it looks like success but in reality would my day-to-day be shaped better or worse for it and I think it really did give me food for thought
0: yeah I was talking to another millennial last week interestingly who was saying reflecting on the last year and, and saying that actually um you know they loved their job and they loved what they'd done but actually there was far too much time at home (laughs) yeah, <laughs> far too much time um, independently. And actually, they, they much preferred a, a community and a, an office environment. Have you, have you seen any businesses or workplaces or organisations you're interacting with that you think have, have done some innovative, innovative things to try and address that? Have you seen any of that at all? Or, or do you think it's still something that organizations are grappling with and wrestling with and really don't
1: know what to yeah do I, I think the latter probably like obviously we can all point to the Googles and the the Facebooks and um but I find those really interesting as well because they give this kind of flexible whole life view but actually maybe it's skeptical but I feel like you're tricked into doing more work you know if you're socializing at work and <laughs> you can actually plug onto your yeah. um computer and um, when you get home it's a really hard one because I do value flexibility. Yeah. Of course, I'm doing this podcast from my sofa at home and I'll go into the office later. I work from home on a Friday now. Mm-hmm. I really value that flexibility and I think it comes at no cost to my productivity. Um, but at the same time, mm-hmm. I am someone who works very well with boundaries. Um, I always have coming out of university. I used to work hard and play hard, but in terms of self-care, it it did get hindered because every minute um, lawyers get taught to um, bill their time in six minute chunks and I think I even you know would have friends come and sit on my bed for 10 minutes and chat about my day and I'd be like what are we achieving here (laughs) you know I'll see you later we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna, um, we're gonna go out and I'd be billing them in in my head for their time sounds awful but I just was so when I was on I was on and when I was off I was off and I wasn't very good at the middle ground um and I think having structure actually physically going into an office at least for some part of the week is great um I don't think you can't achieve that if you're freelance I think if I were to be freelance I'd have to be quite mindful of okay where am I going to go out to and work today am I going to go into a co-working space am I going to go into the coffee shop um around the corner um I think I'd still need structure and I'd still need to know when to switch off and i think that is attention that um yeah it, it's an interesting one a, a friend of mine just on the way back from india um was telling us about a friend who got a new job and every fourth friday they stop working at 10:30 and go to the beer fridge and just have <laughs> have like a, a quiz day mm-hmm. and um and this guy who was telling us was like i think i might even take a pay cut and and go and apply there um, And I think it sounds good in theory, but I actually, um, potentially contrary to some of um, the research, I, I quite like the kind of barrier between work and home life in one sense. Um, yeah, I, I do quite like those boundaries, but I guess that is further nuanced by the fact that lots of my home time is spent writing. So if you looked at my career as a holistic thing, both editing, writing, painting and the the various things i do then work does spill absolutely outside of nine to five um but i guess that's on my terms
0: yeah yeah it's interesting i was with a a young graduate on on friday who just started a a a pr job and, and in their office they they have prosetto on tap but they're not allowed to to start pulling it until 5 o'clock on a normal day and 3.30 on a Friday. And and, 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 you know,
1: <laughs> and do they need an
0: editor? <laughs> and she was <laughs> <or> she leadership <laughs> consultancy. And, <she, laughs> and she was saying how, how great that was. But actually, in the research, millennials fell, fell into three categories. Those who wanted really strong boundaries, i.e. I want to walk out here at 10 to 5, and don't mm. give me any of this. Um you know, uh, merging social <laughs> yeah. with work life—I don't want it. Um, those who did want the merging of social and 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 work life uh, together, and 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 that was fine. And those who had a social and work life merged together, and and, and found the blurred boundaries just mm. difficult to cope with. And I. I I think that's really interesting for organizations to get their heads around is that actually it is a nuanced picture and for different people yeah. it works differently, yeah? And and actually... I think probably it's one-size-fits-all too much at the moment and actually helping people find what works for them and works really, really well based on their character and their, uh, their Yeah, I think too.
1: circumstances as well, I'd say. I know lots of people who, when I moved to London, I, lots of my university friends lived here. Lots of my friends um, from church were here. So I actually didn't need work colleagues as friends. I enjoy seeing them 9 to 5 Monday to yeah. Friday, but... I, did, I didn't need them, whereas for a lot of people who come down to London and have no friends, they're looking to their work colleagues as their main yeah. source of um, s- social yeah. life, um, plugging in, doing yeah. what they're doing. So I think there is a, a discrepancy in the yeah. circumstances that people come to work with um, that kind of yeah. um, impacts yeah. on their expectations.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think what we're saying, though, is you know um, the idea that flexible working solves all... The whole, um,
1: Uh,
2: morale (laughs) issues in the workplaces it's just like a little bit naive (laughs) hey so um uh, elizabeth you talked uh, a little bit about how how your personality maybe shaped that and and your enjoyment of boundaries and the rest of it and how actually maybe now you're leaning more towards a slightly more boundary-centered work ethic um so, so let's ask why why do you think this is a millennial trait or do you think this is a millennial trait do you just think this is a people trait uh, why do you think millennials think like this or or like this flexibility or uh, or or yeah,
1: why, yeah why do you think I would that love it's? to say it's because we are um go-getters in every area of our life but I think for me and, and many of my peers there is that pressure that having a a job isn't enough anymore. You need a side hustle or you need, you know, a project that you're working on. And I think it's that constant glorification of busyness really. Um that um that looks, you know, anyone who saw me at work leaving at five on the dot might think that um, you know, from the outside that I'm I'm not um as ambitious, that I'm not willing to put in the extra hours, but actually probably about two, three evenings a week um I'll come home have some dinner and then log on and start um working on my novels which I'm doing outside of work and so actually if you look at the whole shape of my week there's a there's an awful lot of work there but I need my work I need my day job to be boundary to allow me to do that um extra thing and I know many millennials who are like that who have something they're doing on the side of their job that means that actually their day-to-day job needs to stay in that boundary. Um, yeah, and I think I think that is very true of creatives. I don't see it as much in, for my friends who did pursue law, they kind of are still working very hard, playing very hard, just because their job, their hours are so demanding that there's not a lot of life outside of that in which to do hobbies or projects. Um, so I think it probably splits that way, maybe. I don't know if that's a stereotype, but I do think particularly creative people might be working on one or two things at the same time, which requires each individual part of their lives to be quite structured.
2: <laughs> hey, Elizabeth, this has been super interesting. We've got one final question for you. We've, uh, we, we always try and ask maybe one or two questions uh, at the end to everyone we speak to. And the question I, I want to end on today would be, what's your greatest excitement and fear when it comes to leading?
1: Oh, I guess the greatest um, excitement is seeing people um, develop seeing people um, come alive and come together on a project. Um, I think the influence, the impact you can have together is far stronger than what you can have apart. Um, and so, I really enjoy and I am excited by the impact of minds coming together and different skill sets coming together to work for a common vision or a common good. I guess my biggest fear is missing out. Probably still. And um, there's just recently been. Um, in the BBC yesterday something called and I don't even know how it's pronounced but it's FOMO with an MG on the end I don't know if you've seen that but it's called um <laughs> yeah. yeah it's called yeah. fear of yeah. missing out on my goals and I think even from a Christian perspective mm. sometimes I have slipped into the mentality of God I want to do your best for me I want to be walking in that but I'm scared that this isn't quite it or I'm scared that I'm missing what you're trying to say to me So my biggest fear in leadership would be forging down the wrong path, probably making wrong choices. But I guess that just comes back to preaching to yourself that life isn't linear linear, and it will meander and it will take you down different paths for different reasons. Um, But ultimately, if you keep your eyes focused on God, he um, will keep you going in the right direction.
0: Elizabeth, that's been fantastic and, and a great place to end our conversation uh, there. Thank you so much for taking the time just to reflect on your own leadership. I'm sure there will be lots of millennials out there who didn't know what a mission <laughs> editor does. <laughs> we're wrestling with flexibility and community and uh, we'll have really benefited from your insights into that. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today.
1: And thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. For more dedicated resources to equip emerging leaders, visit our new website, millennial-leader.com.